Hello and welcome to today's load of the Made for More podcast. I'm very excited uh, to share the chat that I had with today's guest with you. It is Madhavi Nawa Parker. Now, Madhavi is uh, the Director of Positive Minds Australia. And in fact, we actually met quite a few years ago at uh, one of my kids' schools and she was speaking to parents there on a parent info session, essentially on, you know, what's going on in tiny people's minds. Uh, but she is a multi-published author. She's worked with children teenagers, families and schools for over 20 years. Uh, Madhavi is known for her empathetic understanding and working tirelessly to improve mental health, resilience and well-being. Today's chat could have possibly gone on for, well, I would have loved to have for it to have gone on for hours and hours, but we do want to keep it short, sharp and shiny here. But it, it is absolutely amazing, the chat and the expertise that Madhavi shares with me and I get to share with you. I hope you love this episode. If you do, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or, of course, you know, find us on our socials. I'll put the links in today's show notes. Let's jump in. Today's episode is an absolute cracker. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. So welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. I am very excited to have our guest with us today. Hello, Madhavi, and welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. How are you? Oh, hello, Ali. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here, and I'm very well, thank you. So before we get into today's episode, which is, you know, we're talking this tiny little thing, empathy and uh, compassion, just, you know, a small topic to start off with. Can you tell me a little bit about where you have come from and where you are going? Oh, what a great question. So I came from, uh, you know, a, a little home with my mum and my dad and my brother and my sister. And my dad was working on in the leadership team at the Glenside Hospital. So his field was mental health and social work. And, and uh, one of the advantages of that was we got to live in a house which was on the premises of what was known as the Glenside Hospital uh, back in the day. So we're talking early 80s. And my backyard was just the best backyard in the world as far as I was concerned. I rode my bike and my roller skates, sometimes on my own, sometimes with my brother and sister and other times even with my friends around just chatting. So chatting to so many of the residents and just having a great time. Every day was different. Every conversation was different. And I just became so incredibly intrigued by people. So I've always loved people. Uh, you know, I was really lucky to be raised by two incredibly compassionate parents who also had this capacity to, to love people and be interested in people. So I had that role model to me and then I just got so fascinated. And then I would like listen to conversations that would happen in our living room, you know, back in the day, you know, we're talking the 80s here. So 
dad would come home and he'd have his colleagues and mum would cook this amazing meal and everyone would be chatting and if it was school holidays I'd just be listening thinking this is so interesting they're talking about all of this you know interesting stuff that goes on in people's minds so that inspired me Ali I I knew I needed to study psychology uh, I wanted to know more I wanted to understand more so that was really where I think my career began it began when I was a kid from observing I think this is amazing. And for, I mean, Glenside's quite well known here in Adelaide, but for our yes. national and our international listeners, how would you describe, I think it's, it's no longer there anymore, but back when you grew up in the grounds of Glenside, how would you describe what Glenside represented back in that time? So back in that time, uh, what, what was happening there was people with uh, neurodiversity, with challenges in mental health. There was also a broad range of people with intellectual disability there as well. So right across the mental health spectrum and uh, the disability and differently able people, we had um, these incredible grounds were there. So a big office structure where uh, I guess people like my dad were working and then lots of different clinics and areas. It was My favourite was um, the dementia ward so that was a whole area there so it was very broad back then amazing and what a rich and enriching environment for a you know a palliable young mind to be experiencing such diversity you know you talk about neurodiversity but holy smokes what a great learning <laughs> what a great learning environment no wonder you are doing what you're doing and uh, you know are changing the way that we see men- any of these mental issues and creating healthy healthy environments and healthy minds so when you think about how you grew up on Glenside and you're experiencing what you're experiencing with all of the the patients that were there and of course the academics and the and the your father's colleagues tell me a little bit around how that led you into doing the work that you do with Positive Minds Australia now what was the gap that you saw um, needed to be filled great so uh, so fast forward a few years uh, after that uh, I studied psychology and I felt drawn again to working around neurodiversity and found myself with Autism SA. So after studying psychology at university, that was my first job. And what I noticed immediately was, you know, psychology still back then, so I would say that now we're probably talking 90s, uh, and autism spectrum was still very much running off a deficit uh, Mm. focus. So here's what's wrong. Oh, here's what's wrong. And I was just thinking come on, through relationships and communication and asking questions, we can find out more. Sure, we know there are some challenges. Um, There are challenges right across the board of our species, right? So (laughs) just being human, we can't... A variable of human, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And so I knew, and, you know, I was in my 20s and all I could see when I was chatting to, to the kids was, so really, when you ask me why you know how old I am even though we all know you're not meant to ask people that and now you know at 47 it's a slightly different experience when people ask me that but at 25 you know even so we know socially these are not questions we ask or if I've gained a bit of weight one of the kids on the spectrum might say to me oh Marvie you know you've gained some weight and I would think to myself well hang on a sec I can focus on the deficit aspect of that which is not knowing what else to talk about or just simply pointing out what they observe or the question that comes to mind 
Or I can start asking questions and trying to figure out, all right, well, why don't we take a strengths focus? And I love the honesty of yeah. people on the spectrum. In fact, the honesty of, of so many young people and adults I work with. So I thought, all right, so that's your strength and you're curious and that's another strength. And then I thought, well, what do we do next? And I thought, we just teach skills. Surely we just teach the skills that are missing. And that is really, um, to cut a long story short, what brought me, you know, to Positive Minds Australia, to my practice on my own earlier was how do we just give young people and adults, whether it's in schools or families or workplaces, the confidence to get along uh, with others, to build empathy and emotional intelligence without focusing on the fact we've all got we've all got deficits. So it's moving from that deficit model of psychology to the positive psychology model where we're really looking at people's strengths and looking to build upon those strengths. Yeah, I love it. I think that is such an important skill when we're talking about, you know, empathy is, you know, almost that little key or is it the key that unlocks the entry to this positive um, environment or this positive psychology that we're trying to create, not only, you know, in our community, but also in our workplaces, in our families. And it's this snowball effect. And let's just keep diving into empathy from here on in. Uh, Another great question, Ali. Uh, We can all improve our empathy, but we've got to want to, you know, it's as simple as that. I mean, it starts with a conscious decision uh, to be more aware of other people's worldviews. So being, you know, initially the first step to that is uh, being aware of our bias and, and we all have it, you know, we are naturally drawn to what we know. So we are more drawn to people who have more similar experiences to us, uh, similar backgrounds, uh, even appearances, you know, we know from literature that that's, that's not something to be mad at ourselves about because if we get stuck there, then it's like, oh, we don't actually really face the reality, which is we are naturally born to, uh, drawn to similarity. Mm-hmm. And so consciously understanding that and then going, and you know what? I want to know more. I want to know more about people. I want to know about uh, more about other experiences of life. And one, that's where it begins, you know, to decide I'm going to find out more. I am going to increase my worldview and I want to be more empathic. And and if we don't start there, uh, it doesn't mean anything to us. And if, if it doesn't mean anything to us, as we know from everything we understand about self-awareness and there will be no change you know we have to start with that self-awareness so Mm. to to cultivate it you know if if we don't have empathy we can certainly end up experiencing what psychologists call naive realism where your view of the world feels like the only view so you're constantly Uh irritated by anyone who sees anything differently um, from you and you just can't get along with people that way because we've all got such um, diverse views and perspectives excuse me so in order to cultivate it first we start with you know wanting it and consciously deciding to do it and then and having that awareness of you know do we have any biases that we need to explore and just acknowledge it and be authentic about it and so once you care about it once you acknowledge that uh, we've also got to remember that building 
any new skill uh, like empathy, any skill takes time and it takes practice. And, you know, when we're stressed, we regress, so you might take some steps <laughs> back. You know, it's easy to be a great leader when everything's working well in your business yeah. and your staff are all happy and, you know, the, the money's coming in and everything's going well. And then under, after a crisis, like, you know, what happened for many businesses this year, then it's like, okay, now, now it's hard to be a, you know, being a compassionate leader then is, is much more challenging. So remembering, you know, not, you know, to also be compassionate and empathic towards ourselves as leaders and as mm. people to remember, you know, the fact that you genuinely want to do it is the most crucial thing and that, you know, there'll be some steps backwards, but you continue to practice things. So to, to cultivate empathy, you know, as we began with, um, we, we want to, you know, some people have that natural emotional empathy right so um i will come back to the practical ways to cultivate it but to fully understand it, uh, ali when we look at empathy you know there are three layers to that so yeah. there's emotional empathy which is let's just say uh i was sitting with you and we we're having a cup of coffee and your phone rang and you received you know what was visibly some difficult news or difficult information now emotional empathy would be that in that moment, I would notice immediately you're upset, but not only would I notice it, Ali, I would feel it with you. It's almost like, you know, that contagion of emotion where yeah. you feel what's happening around you. That emotional empathy is, is feeling and catching that feeling and really uh, connecting on that emotional level. Mm. Uh, and, and then, then there's the cognitive empathy, which is like your thinking. So that's when, you know, and some people will only have one of these well-developed and struggle with others, but we can develop them all together with conscious effort. Um, but, but, you know, cognitive empathy is like you're trying to figure out, okay, Ellie's had this phone call. I wonder what's going on. I hope she's okay. How can I help her? What's my day looking like today? She looks really upset. Uh, I want to understand this, right? And and then that final layer, you know, the icing on the cake. I mean, if you've got all of these three things naturally, which, you know, people like you very much and I have naturally, but not everyone does, you, you then reach that beautiful icing on the cake, which is what you and I care so deeply about, which is compassion mm. or empathic concern. Mm. So you then take that feeling you just got seeing you know I've seen you're sad I've tried to figure out in my head and now that you're close to getting off that phone call I want to do everything I can to make it better for you yeah. I want to help you I want to use my strengths and my abilities and my time and my care uh, in order to make it better so some people are more you know, even when we look at someone on the autism spectrum, you know, people get really confused and they're like, oh, you know, because I've worked with people on the autism spectrum for over two decades and they have such incredible care for other people. Some of the most authentic people I've known in my life and, and, and so caring and people say, but, you know, they struggle with empathy. And I'm like, well, they don't struggle with emotional empathy. They can, they, they, they quite often will see it and feel it, but that 
cognitive empathy can take some time sort of trying to figure out well what was that face about what's going on I'm feeling something and we can teach that uh, skill and then we can also um, you know they can still have that empathic concern where they want to do something or some people just uh, you know generally speaking are more in the cognitive all right I see something's going on um, I'm not really feeling it but I know I need to do something with it so can you see how those three yeah. things Ideally, we are trying to cultivate all three. Um, And some people, Ali, very naturally, by luck of the genetics, the personality, the temperament, (laughs) the upbringing, the circumstances of life have allowed them to flourish with with those things, with all three. Um, And other people, you know, perhaps someone who's experienced trauma or significant hardship is more inclined to have to relearn it. And and we know that, you know, to cultivate it in someone who's experienced trauma, for example, you know, there's two, two ways it can go. If something bad happens to you, you can go very inward and just complete, continue to repeat some of those patterns that aren't so good for you. Or you can grow um, if you've got support. So to cultivate empathy in ourselves and others, we've got to support everybody to have an empathic kind of experience of life. Um, and, and we know that connection is, is everything for cultivating it. We, we want to read books, you know, that are yeah. completely different to our experience of life. You know, read about stories that, uh, you know, I know sometimes I'll read a book and I can't think of them for the life of me at the moment that is so far removed from anything I've ever known. And I just it's like I can just feel my brain wiring and rewiring. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. reading books, listening to different music, meeting people who are not your age, meeting people who are not from your, uh, you know, not the same gender, not the same racial backgrounds, all of those uh, sorts of things, you know, make a really big difference to, to growing our empathy, um, you know, admitting our own faults, um, showing other people we care about their challenges, uh, planning to serve well, you know, for me and, and no doubt for you, from the beginning of my, really from childhood, I knew I, I wanted a job of, of service. I wanted to, you know, do my best to serve. And I think that builds empathy when you're not seeing a client as a client, you're seeing them as another human being and and you're seeing that they're having a very real experience of something and it's your job to use your strengths um, to, to really see things deeply from their perspective so that you can help them problem solve and grow from that situation. I've talked a lot. No, no, I, I could. We, we did joke, didn't we, that we this might be two or three. Um, two or three episodes. It could be two or three or a whole week of uh, us just talking this out. So when it comes to those three parts of empathy, and there's a few, there's so many gold nuggets in here. Um, so you've got your emotional empathy, which is, you know, like the patching, like feeling, feeling the feels. And then we've got our cognitive empathy, which is around that understanding. And then we've got that empathetic concern and the compassion. And it's really interesting because I, I consider myself now as quite an empathetic person. Um, I think a combination of having like a lot of kids and yeah. actively practicing empathy but if you had met me probably I reckon maybe 10 10 or 15 years ago early on in my leadership journey I was not I did not have compassion or empathy at all I worked with a bunch of um 
women. They were all quite a bit older than me. I had no children. I wasn't married. And I really, really struggled to muster up any kind of compassion or empathy with them. And it was also, I mean, it's interesting now in retrospect, looking back, I was in this sort of like armoured and didn't show any vulnerability or that type of thing as well as part of my, you know, leadership model of the world. And uh, back then when I started unpacking what it all was and when I started showing vulnerability, then I was also able to experience empathy and compassion for myself and for others are they linked oh absolutely and I think um you mean your early experience of life and then becoming a a parent and and all of that is that what yeah yeah well I mean I think probably becoming a parent changes (laughs) how could it not um but showing up with that vulnerability and and this is what we're wired for, right? Our children come to us, you know, uh, like you. I, I have young children as well. I have three children of my own. And if I went from my worldview, so that naive realism, this is how it should be, you know, they should be sleeping at this time because I want to have a coffee with my husband or I want to go for a walk or yes. I want to see this movie and this baby is crying. I mean, if you stay stuck in your own head and mm. I think, you know, raising a family pulls you, well, it rips you right out of your own because our precious babies come to us with nothing more than the need to be uh, empathised with. I mean, that's where we flourish. You know, all the evidence around um, meeting a child's need is being able to really serve um, Mm. those those needs and, and they need understanding in order to understand themselves so I think we also just grow I think as we mature um throughout you know life Mm. we we have that capacity to not be so egocentric and you know when we're young and I remember the the same thing you know it is you are very stuck in that worldview that is in your head it's about you and your friends and really immediate gratification you don't have to wait um and and anybody really a decade older than you when you're in your late teens and early 20s feels like they're 50 to 100 years older than you. <laughs> you just don't relate I mean you're still quite and, and look when you look at the brain, brain research um yeah. that's also very normal you know up until you're 25 or 30 the brain is still developing that capacity to uh, have enough growth that it can uh, think far out beyond itself. And and I think parenting certainly has taught me to uh, be even more, you know, empathetic. Absolutely, uh, for sure. I can relate to what you're saying. So when it comes to actually, you know, say people are our listeners are, are listening and they're like, okay, well, I think I've got, you know, maybe one one out of three or two out of three, but I really need to start, you know, flexing my empathy muscle. Mm. Are there some like, is it a, you know, fake it till you make it or try, you know, try it on for size and, and it's a practice thing or are there, do you have any tips? Yeah, it's a it's a daily practice thing, Ali. It's absolutely like building a muscle. It's the same with resilience. It's the same with well being. If you uh, if you don't practice it every day, it will just take you longer. And look, nobody's going to um, be consistent all the time. But it is it, it you know you've got to like I you know said a, a little earlier. You've got to care about this. You've you've got to care about it. And I think. You know, most people do and and want to cultivate it and grow it. So it starts with that. It starts with 
facing ourselves, you know, looking at ourselves with reality and, and really getting used to listening to our heads. Mm. So start to pay more conscious attention to what you think in different situations. So when you find yourself disagreeing, when you find uh, that your views are different to another person, what is going on in your head? What are you telling yourself about that person? And really consciously becoming very self-aware and and from that you know that can take some time Ali you know I think that's the hardest practice you know I've written about it in all of my books because I'm so much about preventative psychology if we can teach this next generation before they have challenges Mm. how to have a healthy mindset how to be empathic and compassionate and kind and and teach those tools early when their brain is still wiring their lives will be infinitely happier and they will have a much better experience of life but you know once we're adults um we have we have to then learn to actually notice our thoughts and I think even though I've been writing about it you know for well over a decade and teaching it for well over two decades the hardest thing is to stop and pay attention to my thoughts you know I have to consciously do that and three times a day if you check in with two things Ali one your thoughts what am I thinking right now what am I feeling right now because the more we develop that awareness the more we're more inclined to go oh like so that's my habits of of thought around that kind of thing so firstly that self-awareness around our thoughts you know to develop that emotional empathy I think consciously telling yourself to be present in your interactions so when so good yeah sorry I'm like madly writing notes keep going keep going keep going sorry it's harder, you know, perhaps down the track we should just do a session just on listening skills. We definitely because will. I think, you know, one of the hardest things in leadership and in workplaces and in families is just being in that moment. You know, that is the only moment you can influence is whatever's going on in front of you. Yet we're consciously having to stop ourselves from thinking about well what am I going to say in response to this or feeling defensive or getting caught up in all of those things so being present in the moment and really telling yourself I am going to give this person for the next 40 minutes one hour um, whatever you're you're about to spend with them 100 percent of my attention I am going to put my phone away I'm going to put my agenda away because I can't do anything about any of those other things right now anyway and I'm just going to slow down and I'm just going to be with them I mean this is what we're wired to do so what babies want to do with us and toddlers and children want to do with us right (laughs) they just want to be with us and like we've got 4,000 other things that we need to do so it's hard because we're all juggling things but you know, to, to cultivate that emotional empathy, um, which is very much about feeling with others, we've got to be present. You know, we've got to be in every moment um, with, with the people that we're with. And we've got to, 
you know, if we if we don't naturally feel it, then tell yourself, you know, I'm going to pay attention to people's facial expressions. I'm I'm not going to rush to fix things. I'm not going to rush to have the answers. I'm just going to sit with them. I mean, that's what we're all looking for: is someone to sit with us in the discomfort when there's discomfort. Sit with us in pain if we're in pain. Um, you know, yes, we want solutions and we want things to be better when we're struggling, but largely we just want empathy. And empathy is someone who will sit there with you and feel it with you. Um, and if they can't feel it with you yet, to be able to be slow enough in their pace that they're expressing enough calm and presence that you feel like they're feeling it with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if you are potentially a leader and you can see that someone is going through a really hard time, you know, mm. you may not be able to empathise with them and feel it with them, but being able to regulate it so that you can hold mm. that space for them and just be there to allow them to go through it is uh, more important than you being able to actually, you know, um, dig deep and find that empathy if you don't naturally have it. Yes, yeah, spot on. And I think, you know, the, the next layer of that emotional uh, empathy is really a, a great leader uh, is able to look at, you know, that everyone that works with them and, and, and understand what it's like to be that person in that position. I mean, that's a, a conscious cognitive uh, kind of empathy where you try to figure out What's going on for this person in this in this role? What's it like to be in that position? What are their daily challenges? And and so that's the next layer. That's how we then cultivate it to that next level is really committing to understanding that and then learning the tools. I mean, we all know what we like to hear, so maybe that's a good starting place for building your own skills and empathic concern is what would I want to hear right now? I say the same thing to parents, Ali. I, I like <laughs> what I say to them, you know, when your teenager or your child is challenging you in some way, you know, you just want to take control and put it all how you want it to be. But at the end of the day, they're just struggling. They're just struggling because their brain's still growing and they're young and they're impulsive and emotional. Just think to yourself, well, what would I want someone to do right now if I really didn't want to do this thing? Or, you know, and what you want is empathy. It just comes back to the same thing. I want to be understood. I want someone to care about how I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, it, that was a really timely reminder because, uh, as you know, it's getting towards the end of term and kids are getting a little bit, you know, they're a little bit tired and there's like a little bit of Christmas excitement happening, but also, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on. And uh, I'm always reminded you had such a huge impact on the way that I parent my kids um, when we met those years ago. But, you know, one of the things that I do with my kids and I talk about it quite often is the the love bomb. So when oh. they're losing their mind and I, my natural reaction is to lose my mind with them and be like, yeah, come on, listen, really. you know, mum, mum voice. And uh, instead, Alex and I do the love bomb where we just, you know, smother them with so much love and cuddles and and it works every time. Um, Whilst we probably shouldn't do that in the workplace, but I think the same is true. When people are are feeling overwhelmed, we just need to be able to um, have that, I guess, that maturity to be able to step back and say, all right, what do they need right now? Like what is the bit that, you know, what's showing up and like what's actually going on underneath the surface and how can we be there for them? I love it. Oh my goodness. I mean, we could talk about this all day long. 
for for many, many, many weeks on end, I'm sure. And I I think that this is such an important skill that leaders need to start um, being aware of, start practicing, flexing that that empathy muscle, um, you know, empathy for themselves and empathy for each other. But uh, tell me, what would be your top five tips for any, you know, upcoming leaders or new leaders or perhaps, you know, either the seasoned leaders that are going, oh, this actually is a, a bit of a, a capability gap within my own leadership tool belt. What are your tips for those leaders? I think, uh, I think you know, of course, empathy. You know, being able to see that someone else's uh, world is just as real as yours. So can't write it down somewhere, put it down on a bit of paper and, and, and remind yourself every day that whatever someone is going through, they're going through. So don't resist it, accept it and, and allow it and try to understand it. You know, the, the next tip is get curious. You know, be curious about the people that are working for and with you. Find out more, ask more questions than, than you tell things, you know. So less direction, more questions. Uh, I think be self-aware, you know, know yourself warts and all be authentic in that and admit your faults to your team I think yeah. you know being they already know what they are anyway so that's the first thing yes. we all <laughs> see right each yeah. other's stuff so I think when you're able to actually go in and go you know what this is not a strength of mine this is something I'm still trying to figure out I hope you can understand and forgive me with it you know how would you see you know, like to see things, you know, go with this, like where you're really showing that you're trying and that you're human and that you're real and that uh, I think that authenticity, you know, like you said, and that vulnerability as well, you know, we connect more deeply with people that way. Uh, I think, uh, what else? There's so many, so many things. No, it's uh, hard to only have five, isn't it? Yeah, to bring it down to five, I think to be really aware of what, you know, we talked about earlier, that naive realism to oh, just yeah, remember good. it is crucial to realize that there can be you know two people can differ so broadly and yet both have a true and deep experience of whatever those two views are so um getting out of your own head is is really crucial and i think you know really knowing what you know what the purpose you know what you actually want from your leadership, you know, your your leadership is an opportunity to inspire potentially a movement or or, or something, and really having that clear in your head, uh, and and sort of seeing, I guess, where that person in your team is coming from. You know, what is it about um, them, and how can I support them to? Uh, you know, share that and understand that vision by understanding, I guess, where they're coming from and learning and growing from it. Yeah, that is, oh, man. <laughs> that that I love. I loved every single thing that you said and I'm literally on the edge of my seat. Uh, that, oh, I think that this is just so timely right now and, you know, it's going to give people a chance to digest this and go, okay, New year, new new year, new you. Uh, you know how is it that we want to be showing up in this in this twenty twenty one? What does my leadership future look like, and uh, how can I start incorporating? You know. Uh, I guess a higher level of empathy within my team and for myself and compassion and uh, thank you so much 
for for sharing you know so much of your experience and it's just such remarkable work that you and the team at Positive Minds Australia are doing to uh, teach our tiny people these skills so that then when they are grown up and and uh, running the country and running businesses we're going to have far more com- far more compassionate people around and I think that's going to have a huge impact uh, globally as well so thank you so so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Ali, so much for having me. It's always a joy to talk to you and I I really love uh, your podcast and what you're trying to do as well. So thank you ever so much for having me. Thank you. And uh, if people do want to get a hold of your books, I mean, there's many, many that you have written over the years. Uh, They can check that out at positivemindsaustralia.com.au forward slash books and uh, connect with you on LinkedIn or Facebook or both. What do you, where do you like to hang out? LinkedIn. All right. And I'll put the, uh, put all the links in the show notes for today as well. And uh, when we stop recording, we might book in session two, I reckon, (laughs) Matt Harvey and uh, start unpacking some of these other things as well. But thank you so much for your time and have a beautiful day. My pleasure. You have a beautiful day too, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.